0: It was 10.22 when I took and lit up my phone to make this recording on January 9th, 2014. And I think the last 24 hours has been uh, uh, an action-packed 24 hours of God's providence that shows how He's been working in my life for the last four years. Just a quick summarize. Yesterday morning... I was doing my Bible study. Obviously I've been in this season of intense waiting and just being persecuted and questioned and ridiculed and looked down upon by my parents and family, some friends, all that. But I've just continued to keep my head forward, my eyes on Jesus and my head buried in his word, learning and God is just just immeasurably growing my faith my knowledge and my understanding of Him. It's incredible. That is my greatest evidence that God is in fact in this is how much He's transforming my heart more. And now it's, it's about giving me knowledge and understanding, increasing my wisdom of things. I mean, He's just, I'm so thankful. He's opening my eyes to things I've been deceived about and God has had mercy upon me. It's just incredible. And uh, yesterday morning, I was in the Word... I had thought, you know, Lord, I haven't seen 555 in a while that you're going to deliver me very much like he did in the divorce. A few minutes later, I'm watching one of my devotionals. It's on the grace of God. I'm reading it. I look up. It's 555 as I'm reading the devotional today on God's grace. Morning presses on and my mom gets up, gets ready. She leaves without saying anything, gets in her car, drives out, and she's out of the house by like 830 ish. A few minutes after she leaves, the phone rings. And I said to my stepfather, I'll give you two guesses who that is. I figured it would be my mom calling. I look over and it's the church calling. And Bob takes the call, immediately walks as far away from me as he can into the other room. Um, She's already left. Uh, Yes, she is. And I know that it was Alice. I guarantee you it's Alice, Pastor Rusty's assistant, calling to confirm the meeting that my mom has set up with my pastor this morning I don't he's not my pastor anymore but he has been and immediately I realize oh great now my mom's not only reached out to my dad now she's reaching out to the pastor now she's having a meeting wanting to talk about how insane I am and going through this whole thing this is just the the heat just keeps getting turned up and up and up and I've been okay with it so far I mean it's it's amazing how you wouldn't think you could stay in a house with somebody and have a decent feeling when you're living with people that think you're sick i mean that's a that's a difficult spot you're on eggshells all the time you don't have any conversation it's very just kind of eerie but god has given me this grace to be able to do it it's like joseph in the dungeon you know he didn't do anything to deserve to be in that prison people thought for sure he must have been or job who lost everything and his friends are sitting around saying you fool repent You, you you must have been unrighteous and yet, for the most part, God gives him grace. The Lord takes away, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yet though he slay me, even though he slay me, yet will I praise him. So now I feel pretty certain that my mom is sitting in my pastor's office, even probably right now while this recording is being made, and trying to stir up a hornet's nest. My mom has no idea that I'm leaving the church, that I'm getting ready to send an email to the pastor, and I find it interesting now that God has stopped me every time I've thought about sending the pastor something. It's almost like he's wanting to allow this to happen, that there would not it would not be good for me to have made uh, let the cat out of the bag that I'm leaving and that I'm um, have seen the light on the charismatic movement and have seen the dark really and I'm out. So I find this all very, very interesting that this is happening. And I I felt like my, the caffeine did something weird to me this morning. I was a little bit more nervous and shaky. My stomach wasn't feeling good, so I was in the middle of trying to eat. And then when I see that phone call, immediately the, the feelings come in. Oh, and by the way, one other thought is this morning, I've been studying deep on this new apostolic revival. The the Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, Mike Bickle at IHOP, uh, Rick Joyner at Morning Star, and the Toronto Blessing up in Canada. And this is a, a full-on demonic spirit that has taken over in these churches. People have opened themselves up to a curse because they're seeking the things of God from men. They run to prophets, they run to conventions, they run for healing, they run for tongues, they run for, you know, all these different miracles and manifestations and, and the devil has shown up and he's doing all this false fake miracle signs and wonders and deceiving these people by the boatload and there's even a, a website dedicated to lives destroyed by it. Horrible things have happened to people that have gotten involved in this movement. It looks good to begin with and it's disastrous. It proves it's like a it's like taking heroin. It feels good, I'm sure, for an hour or two. It always comes back to bite you and destroy you. If it didn't look good on the outside, or if it didn't have a hit to it, people wouldn't be running to it. But it has this spiritual, emotional, psychological hit. But boy, it comes and hits back hard. And so I was studying that this morning, and one blog post led me to another before I knew it. A guy who was trying to warn people... I saw a post on his blog about numbers about 555 and 666 and 777 and it's this whole blog post about how 555 this guy is claiming was an evil number. He begins to suggest that every number of five in the Bible is negative and leads to death and he points out several scriptures where it was five of this, five of that, whatever and then he shows some people from the charismatic movement who always believed and claimed this was God's grace and I read this article and I'm like what is this and this guy is showing that the Washington Monument is 555 feet high and it's that's 6,660 inches which is a 666 and that it goes 111 feet below the surface which is makes the total thing 666 feet high and I'm going oh my goodness this is weird what is what is up with this? And it bothered me. I, I felt a sinking feeling, like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Have I been deceived? I mean, what? And all those feelings come over me quickly. Just for a second, you know, you flirt with the thought. I mean, I've had many moments throughout trusting God where I begin to doubt and go. I hear Satan say, "This ain't God telling you to fire your attorney. You're in trouble. You're going to be, you're going to be set on. You know, you're going to be destroyed. You're you're an idiot to believe God." So. Satan will regularly try to get me to doubt. I've seen this same thing happen in the life of George Mueller. Many times George Mueller would be at the press of something and waiting for God on something and and Satan will come and try to attack his thoughts. And uh, there's not been many men that have lived in the kind of faithfulness that that man has and brought God the glory that he has. So I kind of pushed on that and I felt led to share on this blog the truth that The whole numbers thing, if you're looking for information outside of God, you're going to be in trouble. And that the first thing, this guy pointed out that what the devil does is he takes things that are bad and tries to make them look good. He was trying to suggest that all these witches and new age people use the number 555 and they try to make something that's bad look good. And I, I wrote this big post and I said, you're absolutely right. Great job on the website But I want to ask you to consider the other side of that same coin. And that's the first side of that coin. And I said, in fact, the first swap that Satan tried to do, the first deception, was he tried to turn something good into something bad, not bad into good. And that was the very name of God. He tried to pervert the name of God, the person of God, and make God evil. The first deception we encounter with Satan is him saying to Eve, Did God say not to eat the tree of the fruit of garden of, of good of a tree of good and evil that you would in fact die will you indeed die no for god knows that by eating that fruit you will become like a god knowing good from evil he distorts and to this day satan's number one thing is to try to make the name of god perverted he goes both ways with it he tries to make you know think about all the people that despise the idea of god because of how satan has been able to pervert name of god god is a good thing but now we have people who say well what kind of a god would let something like that happen see so they're attributing evil to god to a good thing so the same thing can happen satan counterfeits things so i put out my story and said you know allow your your mind to get wrapped around this if you can uh, after all the study, this is going to kind of that you've done. This is going to kind of wreck you. Look at this story, and I sent him my story about the five 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 to six 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 seven seven seven, which is just incredible. And based it all on the fact that God's using these numbers to point me to His Word, not to some you know uh, mystical, uh, mysterious you know kind of out there revelation, and which is what a lot of other people are doing. So that happens, which already had me a little upset, a little. But then I. Felt confident. I prayed about it and I sent the message. Everything was fine. Michael Commentary. This is just a quick reminder. Please, 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 if you are just now perhaps jumping into the Trusting God in the Wilderness series or you're new to my channel and you have not yet heard the in-depth explanation and warnings that I provide regarding my seeing numbers and God using them providentially to guide me to scripture verses, I plead with you to even pause this recording and to go to the beginning of this series, Trusting God in the Wilderness, here on RelentlessHeart.com. And at the very top of the series, you'll see an audio player that says, please start here or warning, something like that. I don't remember exactly what I wrote. But please go listen to that recording if you have not. There are so many important warnings that I have for people. As you can see, even from me running across this gentleman's blog, there is so much confusion and so many different opinions and so many different teachings and explanations about people seeing numbers in the world, 98% of which have nothing to do with my personal experience of God simply using them to guide me to scripture verses, but I really plead for you to let me uh, give you that full explanation with all those warnings, because I know a lot of people see numbers, and there's a lot of you know crazy counterfeit stuff going on, and deceptions, and I'm really, really, really cautious. I want to make sure nobody is deceived, nobody's led into a counterfeit, and ultimately that nobody trips over this. And because it is such an unorthodox way for God to have chosen to guide me to scriptures, even though we do live in a digital age, that makes an awful lot of sense. Um, But nonetheless, it's outside of what the norm is. And so please, please, please go listen to that message. End of commentary. And so then my mom leaves. I'm sitting there eating breakfast and I'm sitting there thinking about how disappointing this is and. That my mom is doing this and I feel that stomach and I'm like, God, I need you. I need you to encourage me, Lord. I need you to to help me. And in that moment, I felt that if I turned around and looked at the clock, I would see an 8.48. Meaning God telling me, go in peace. Your faith has delivered you. I turned around. It was 8.48. I was just, I re-jumped up, went to the other room, got my phone, took a picture of it on the clock. That was God just confirming Go in peace, you're okay. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God. So by 10 o'clock or so, I'm sitting down, I'm reading the Word, I'm getting ready to go for my walk, and I I, I pack things up, I head into my room, click on my phone to put it in to my armrest thing, and it's 10.01. And I just stopped, and I'm like, 10.01. I'm like, God, what's going on with the 10.01 thing here? I've been seeing it a lot, and I never have fully understood... What it is and immediately I feel like I'm supposed to go to page 1001 in my Bible. Well, I go to page 1001 in my Bible just to see if there was anything. Sometimes when God shows me these numbers, He'll show them to me before the circumstance they apply to happens. As it was with the case of 666. I saw it some 30 times before I actually understood what it meant. Only when I was in a situation where the circumstances were evil was I then able to align and and begin to conclude, Oh my goodness, every time God shows me a 666, there's something evil on the other side of this. So many times God will show me the number before I actually understand what it means and how it applies to it. It takes me a while sometimes to figure it out. Sometimes it's instantly, but sometimes it takes time. So this morning... I'm sitting here going through this, and I clicked on 1001, I see the 1001, I go to page 1001 of my Bible, and it's in the Song of Solomon, and it's incidentally, I can't remember what chapter it is, but it's, oh, it's like chapter 3, verse 11, and I noticed in the margin, I took a picture of it, in the margin of my Bible, I had written, I hope this is the reason, I wrote this on December 27th, I wrote, I hope this is the reason why I have seen 1001, I keep saying 1011, 10. 01 and 311 so much. I wrote this on December 27th in my Bible. Passage says... Okay, I just found it in the Bible, but before I read it, I was making my bed before I even saw this. I was making my bed, and I had literally been praying while I was making my bed, and I said, Lord, please give me your grace, Father. And I was starting to pray to get me out of here because I've, I've prayed many times for the Lord to get me out of this house, to let me to move on. And instead... I feel the spirit led me to pray for me to have the grace to continue to stay right where I'm at as long as he needs me to stay. In other words, encourage me, Lord. Just if the Lord will stay with me and encourage me, I feel like I could stay in any situation, no matter how difficult it is if the Lord is with me and I know he's encouraging me, I can I can endure. So I prayed that God would encourage me. So now I'm seeing the 1001, page 1001 of my Bible, Song of Songs chapter 3 in verse 11 is where I had written in the margin. I I pray this is why I'm seeing uh, 10.01 and 3.11 so many times, uh, December 27th. And on the right-hand margin, I had written about my Laura. And in verse 11 of chapter 3 of Song of Songs, it says, Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him, On the day of his wedding day, the day his heart rejoiced. And the reason why that was so powerful is because that was shown to me one time I had forgotten about it. During a time I had been thinking about Laura. And obviously I have documented this many times that Laura's name means the victor's crown. God has shown me so many times that I'm in this battle and I have to continue to endure and fight this battle that He will be with me, He's fighting for me, and He will deliver me. And multiple times, such as page 212 on the book um, called The Dangers of Shallow Faith by A.W. Tozer is a poem about the man who perseveres and who will receive through the battle... He will receive his crown of victory. It was on page 212. So I wrote this big whole thing on page 212 about that. That was an amazing divine providence of God to put that in there. One other point I'm forgetting is that just this morning, as another act of God's divine providence, I had gone to the library yesterday and saw a book by Jonathan Edwards, who was a Puritan preacher back in the early 1700s. And I've been wanting so much to read about him and have heard about his amazing experience of literally spending a lot of times walking in the woods after apparently something very difficult happened in his life and he claims that he learned the most about God and his faith grew the most and he heard the most as he walked and said that the majority of what he teaches comes from what he learned on his walks through the wilderness with God. Literally. And so... Now I'm reading this guy's book and this morning I'm reading in a chapter about how God basically allows men to be miserable in their circumstances so that they'll eventually confess their guilt. That's that brokenness. And he's talking about how God uses divine acts of his providence... Both to show a man his issues and to encourage a man. To providentially intervene with circumstances and signs to encourage him along the way. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is the story of my life for the last four years. God, by a divine act of providence, continuing to show me this. So here I am at the 10:01. I snapped the picture and I'm sitting there just meditating on this scripture going, could this really be what God is trying to show me? I have thought so much over the last couple of weeks that laura must be just around the corner that my deliverance is just around the corner because there's so much 212 activity going on around me writing the story and as i write the story it's building my faith and i i feel god has shown me a lot lately about laura and i haven't even asked for it i'm not asking him for signs for laura anymore i have stopped a long time ago really um Only occasionally maybe have I said, well, Lord, I haven't seen a 212 in a while. And shortly thereafter, there'll be one. And so God is doing this with me, with this Laura thing. And I keep seeing these things about crown, the victor's crown. And then he keeps showing me 511. He showed it to me twice already today. James 511, we consider blessed those who have persevered for you have heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. Incidentally, just yesterday, I was in the 42nd chapter of Job by divine providence. Didn't intend to read the book of Job. Got my 3 email for the day. and One of the things he talked about the importance of waiting upon God was is because it will increase your gratitude towards God when he finally brings restoration. That these long waits for victory and for restoration serve to really increase our gratitude and praise of God when he restores us. Michael Commentary Oh, I cannot help but to rejoice and praise our Heavenly Father for His divine wisdom. Brothers and sisters, trust our Father. He knows so much better what is good for our life and our eternal destiny and what is necessary to prepare us so that we will not stand ashamed at the Lord's coming. When I think of these recordings and I look at where I was at then in my heart before God, and almost six and a half years later, where I'm at now and where all these lessons have come from, and the increased discernment, the increased understanding, the wisdom of walking with God, the increased joy in my heart, the increased spirituality, the, the increased maturity, I am just amazed at how God has designed all of these things out, things I could have never imagined. And so I've left these recordings in here on purpose because I really want you to see what it looked like for me and how technically, you know, many times I'm wrong, but there again, I make this point that I end up being right because I wait for God to act in my behalf. And I look back and I can see the importance of why God was allowing me to believe for this particular wife and, you know, why her name meant, you know, victor's crown and why God showed me on page 212 in Tozer's book, a poem about a victor's crown and for those who overcome and, you know, it's just, it all makes so much sense. You know, all these years later, I'm able to look back. In fact, you know, I see the 1011s or the 1001s and the 311s and I think of all the things God did to encouraged me to let me know that he did have something good for me. He did have a crown for me. But I also think of all the things that God didn't tell me. You know, first of all, my heart greatly, greatly rejoiced on the day of my wedding to Persis, not Laura. And we'll be to that part of the story where the switch happens. It's just remarkable in another you know, year and a half worth of recordings here. But when I see this deep work that God was doing in my life and and I see again how much out of balance I was in this area in my life, God was having to do such a deep work. I mean, brothers and sisters, Michael is so weak in this area that God has to do all these things he's doing you here in these recordings and making me wait so long and giving me this anchor of a promise, this particular person to hold on to so that I could not be led astray out of God's divine plan to have Persis be my wife one day. And the, the day that Persis and I married, and probably just the days leading up to and the days after, my heart rejoiced more than I could even put into description. It was just absolutely amazing. And God did put a crown on my head. But that crown was also going to come with Thorns. And I wouldn't have known that at this time, that the crown God was going to put on my head was going to be a crown of thorns for a while. Many of you know that, you know, just six months after I married Persis, she began to fall away from the faith that we so beautifully shared. And God has had such a remarkable reason for even allowing this, as you probably have heard in the Apostate Bride of Christ series. It has just been amazing. I was able to tell my wife, even just this past week, that... I'm amazed when I look back at all the pain and all the differences and how I would never, ever want her to think that she owes me anything for the difficulties or that any of this was ever a waste, like wasted years, because what was meant for evil, what was meant for discouragement, what was meant for shame has turned from my good in so many ways. And I I listed all these different ways. And I'm able to look at my wife today with gratitude for all that God has done. I mean, that is the biggest miracle I've ever seen, far greater than God picking out purses for me and giving her to me as a permanent victor's crown with all comfort and all pleasures and nothing ever go wrong is the greater miracle of God's grace to help me to love her even when she turned away from my Lord and turned away from me for a time. It is absolutely amazing. And when I think of the last three and a half years of character development and strengthening my faith and long-suffering and God getting me to this place where I'm totally detached. Listen, you want to know about a miracle? You want to hear about the greatest miracle that I've ever heard of? It is having a man like me with this incredible desire for a spouse. I mean, I literally would put my desire for a spouse up there with the highest of desire amongst men for their wife was so in excess for a person who's calling themselves a Christ follower that God had to work that out. You know, I've mentioned this many times, but here's the miracle for God to have taken a person whose greatest desire on this earth that lawfully I can point to scripture and say, it is good that your word says, Lord, Your word first points out, the only thing it first points out as not being good is the man being alone. So I'm able to look at God and say, look, these desires are great. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and a noble wife is from the Lord and a good gift and all these scriptures and he who finds a good wife finds favor from the Lord. And so I'm able to point to scriptures and justify and say, look, Lord, all these things are legal, they're lawful, they're righteous, and they're good in your eyes. And yet God looks at mine just like he would look at Abraham's desire and pleading for Isaac. And he can say, yes, it's a good thing, but it's severely out of balance, which has become a perversion and it's become wrong. And so God knows that in my heart. But the thing to me that is such an amazing miracle is that God could bless me with Persis. My, my, my life and my heart was so big, like a helium balloon that would just rise and rise and rise. And Persis is far more adorable than, than Laura. Laura was a beautiful woman, external, uptown girl. I see so many also biblical parallels to this. You know, Jesus didn't come for the Gentiles, That was not his chosen bride. Jesus came, obviously knowing he would eventually marry the Gentiles, but he came as he made it very clear for the Jewish people. I think of the parable of the great wedding banquet, the great banquet where, you know, God comes for a group of people, those who've been invited, which are the Jews, kind of the uptown girl, if you will. They've been with God and God's had his eye on them for a long time, but they reject the invitation. And so what does God do? He basically tells Jesus in this parable and Jesus's servants and followers, okay, go out into all the street corners and all the streets and the country lanes and bring in all the poor, the blind, the lame, and the crippled. He doesn't say go out and bring in the uptown girl. So I see a little bit of a parallel there. You know, you see the Jews with all their phylacteries wide and all of their, you know, Jewish religious garb and their temples. They're the uptown girl, religiously speaking. And Jesus has to speak to them and say, you know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers your chicks, but you are not willing. I think of Paul and Peter and the disciples saying to the Jews, Paul says, okay, we presented the gospel to you. But since you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Incidentally, which Jesus called the dogs. When the woman who's demon-possessed daughter, she's in desperate need of help. And Jesus says, look, it's not good to throw the children's bread to the dogs. That means the Gentiles. The lower. And I just, I look at this and how, you know, Laura was a picture of the perfect church girl, uptown girl. And look at where Persis came from. The poorest country in the world. Richest country in the world, Laura. Poorest country in the world, Persis. And when God helped me to make the switch, which you'll hear about again in like 18 months worth of recordings here. So I look back at the wisdom of what God has done. And see, God is working for fruitfulness and eternity. God is working for character in eternity. God is working for blessings that will echo and last in eternity. And I, I'm able to see God's dealing with me in my marriage and him, you know, giving me this promise for Laura and going out of his way to keep this horse in its lane. You see God over and over again, keeping me excited to believe him and God's promise is going to come true. My heart is going to rejoice on my wedding day, just as it says in that song of songs passage. But And he is going to give me a victor's crown. Five and a half years of waiting, I have a wife. She's in my house right now, adorable as they come. But that crown he's going to place on my head that day is going to have a crown of thorns with it. It's going to have some thorns. And there's going to be so much pain and difficulty and unmet expectations and shattered dreams and bewilderment and all of that. All of these things, the crushing of the... the you know, the desire and the visions here are going to lead to such glorious plans of God, such glorious heavenly mindedness, such glorious death to self, long suffering, holiness, sanctification, freedom from the world to where now I become a man today with God's help, totally detached from all things and all people to the point where I've looked at my wife and said, honey, if you need to go back to India, let's send you back to India. If If this isn't for you, the marriage isn't for you, Christ isn't for you, I'm not for you, let me let you go back. And to be able to actually help her in that without any feelings of animosity, without any resentment, being totally attached, totally trusting in the sovereign will of God, I ask you brothers and sisters, what is the greater miracle? What is the greater crown? What is the greater blessing? Having that thing that works and looks perfect in this life, Or food and blessings and crowns that endure to eternal life. Oh, how I just can't even put into words the wisdom, the unsearchable wisdom of our God to do these kind of things. It is absolutely extraordinary. And to this day, I have, even though we had to go through this whole apostasy journey, which was just horrific. Horrific for me to get my head around that. I still have the most adorable wife I could have ever had. I still have the one that God had for me. I still have the one that has yielded the greatest fruit for eternity in my heart, in my life, and now in my ministry. Oh my goodness gracious, (laughs) no one who waits for him and hopes in him and trusts in him will ever be put to shame. But again, as Michael has always said, but it will have to look like it for a time. And it just, my marriage is such great illustration and a great proving ground for this point that God is so primarily interested and focused in conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, preparing us for blessings in eternity, not blessing us in the temporal end of commentary and in the 42nd chapter it talks about how all of his family came around him to to encourage him because the lord's hand had been heavy upon him what the lord had done to him and then it says that he had 10 more children seven sons three daughters and the bible says because god wrote this that his three daughters were the most beautiful daughters in all of the land and instantly Without me even having to think, I recognize that's because he had a beautiful wife. And I just began to weep. And it says that the latter part of his life was well more blessed than the first part of his life. So all of these things have been happening. All of this amazing confirmation. And then I'm leaving the house after having seen the 1011 and meditating on the scripture about getting the crown placed on your head on your wedding day. The day that your heart rejoiced. And I've often thought... That is going to be one of the most rejoicing days of my heart, the day that God gives me Laura in marriage. It will be a a day of all days because God did this. And I'm walking out, I'm headed out the garage and I get out my phone to start making a recording. I was walking down the street and I come up on a garbage can and I look and I go, wait a second. There's another 1001, 1001 on the side of this garbage can. And I'm like, that's not a coincidence. I get my phone out to take a picture of it. The people are even in their driveway, and I don't care. I'm taking a picture of this. I get my phone out, click my phone. It's 1011 now, exactly 10 minutes later from the time that I took the picture of 1001. 1011 is another number that God shows me for Romans 1011. And as the scriptures say, no one who trusts in Him will ever be put to shame. Waiting upon the Lord, many people think they'll be put to shame. A lot of other people are trying to put you to shame. My mom, a lot of people, but God keeps telling me that no one who trusts in Him will ever be put to shame. So now here it is. I'm seeing this ten eleven, and going, oh my goodness! And I started doing the math. I saw the ten oh one on the mailbox, ten eleven. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, this is weird. 10.01 plus 10 minutes is 10.11. So, in between the two 10.01s is 10 minutes. 10.01 in my room, I clicked it on my phone. 10 minutes later, I see another 10.01 at 10.11. There's something so unbelievably awesome about that. God again confirming. As I pass three more garbage cans, I look over and see a 511. When I began to make this message, it was 10:22, possibly Proverbs 10:22, that says, "The Lord gives brings wealth and He adds no trouble to it." It's my prayer that that's what God has been showing me. That's a that seems to line up. And I saw that after seeing 511, two mornings in a row, I saw a 10:22. So if I'm correctly hearing the lord on this god is telling me he's going to bless me with finances he's not going to add any trouble to it he's going to deliver me which is going to be a huge thing financially and he's going to bless me with this amazingly beautiful woman now i fully believe god will do all of these things yesterday's message on waiting upon the lord Charles Stanley talked repeatedly about how if you will obey God and you will seek Him and give Him the first part of your life, God will begin to speak to you and God will make promises to you. And he says, then you have to wait. He said, many people I see with such great potential and great promise and they run off and basically manipulate the circumstances. They don't want to wait and they have the ability to make it happen so they do and it becomes a disaster. Instead, wait upon the Lord. And He said, well... People will say, well, what if I miss or what if God forgets or what if I, you know, what if something else happens? I've had the same exact thoughts about Laura. I've had even people say to me, you better move on this. She ain't going to be around. She's already been snatched up. She won't be available. This is what the world believes. This is what people that operate out of the natural believe. They're flesh. You got to make it happen. You got to take the bulls by the horns. You got to, if it's to be, it's up to me. You know, you're the divine master of your own destiny. Malarkey. So everything God's been telling me is to sit and wait. And he was teaching this principle that said, Wait and watch the Lord work on my behalf. I will wait and watch the Lord work upon my behalf. And so all of this has been so encouraging. And he said that when the Lord gives you a promise and draws a circle around something and puts your name on it, he said he will bring it to pass. Never think that God is somehow or another incapable of giving you a promise, that he's promised. So here it is coming up on, I'm sure, 18 months, 17 months, 18 months ago that I met who I believe is my future wife. And I've been waiting and there's been all kinds of satanic distractions and decoys and all kinds of... Things to try to get me off of this, waiting for this promise. All the things that my old self would have easily caved into. That only by God's grace have I been able to wait. Because I'm so weak. I would want to run for the quick. You know, the the, the fast nickel that beats a slow dime pawn shop mentality. I, that would be me. My whole life it's been that way. But by God's grace, I've been able to wait so that He could produce in me amazing glory for Himself. And wonderful blessings for myself and those around me. And others that will follow and that will want to know how to trust the Lord. So this whole message ends with the idea that these have all been the most amazing evidences of God's ability and His providence in the lives of men and women who fear Him and love Him and trust Him and obey Him. Or, this is one of the greatest delusions I've ever seen in my entire life by Satan. Or even just by my own sin nature. I am either suffering from one of the greatest delusions I have ever heard or seen of in my entire life. Worse than a Bernie Madoff. Or I am in fact under the blessing and the guidance and the direction of a holy, perfect, awesome God. What's the answer to that question? Nobody knows until God shows up. When the Israelites are standing on the edge of the Red Sea and they're coming to Moses crying, You fool! Why did you lead us out here like this? There was no evidence that he in fact was anything other than what they had just accused him of. A fool. There was no way for for Moses to prove that God had spoken to him. But guys, you don't understand. God spoke to me in a burning bush. That wasn't worth anything to them in that moment. The only way... Moses could ever have proved himself to in fact be with God and hearing from God was for God to in fact show up miraculously and deliver. The sin nature which every Christian still has rages against the idea that God does these kind of things, absolutely dismisses as mere coincidence any good thing that God does And rails against the idea that God could make a promise of things in the future. That God could in fact tell you of who your future spouse is going to be. Of what will happen to you when you trust Him and you go into that courtroom. Of that He'll provide a financial blessing for you to take care of. That He could promise you a ministry with fruit. And a, a, a deep, wonderful relationship with Him. The human nature and flesh, sin nature, rails against this idea And says, this is impossible, this is foolishness, this is delusion. Get back to the real world. The world has done such an absolute, amazingly convincing job of convincing people that the God of miracles is dead or that he never has lived. Or that he's off somewhere, not involved in people's lives anymore. The only people that believe that are the ones that are deceived or the ones that have given God a chance and turned their back on him because he didn't act soon enough or those that have never believed to begin with. Because what I'm now seeing and experiencing is that God truly is in control and orders the steps of those who fear Him. That God literally does direct our paths by His Word, as it says in Psalm 119, 133, where your path is being directed by God's Word. God has been directing me with these numbers that are not numerology. If I was just saying, oh, 1011, this is the secret science number, but angels spoke to me, I see all kinds of counterfeit garbage out there like that. All kinds of counterfeit where people see numbers and they have these books called the Book of Angels and their numbers. That is absolute satanic, full-on deception. Any number that doesn't point you back to a scripture is not of God. Period. End of story. I do not believe, unless God has a specific reason for confirming something that's in His Word, I would never trust the idea that God has shown me a number that has some mysterious you know, mythological meaning or some weird thing outside of God's Word. I would never, ever, ever trust in anything like that. I never want anybody to think that God is doing something so weird to me other than He's simply directing me to specific scriptures in His Word. The way God is speaking to me is directing me to His Word. Why is that so hard to believe? Everything from, you know, fire your attorney, trust me, I will defend you, I will deliver you, to sit and wait, don't take that job, don't put new wine into old wineskins. To, I will bless you with a wife again, this will not be the death of you. I will give you the desire of your heart after you've delighted yourself in me. Repeatedly, more often than any number, 909 is pointing to the center and heart of Psalm 119 in my Bible, which is all about obedience. God teaching me to obey Him in everything. Sit still. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't listen to those that don't believe in me. Don't trust in those who trust in false idols. Don't put your hope and trust in man. Put your hope and trust in me. Don't run to people or things to get your help or any source outside of me. Run to me. Run to my word. Sit still. Be patient. Wait. Turn the other cheek. Allow yourself to be persecuted. Keep trusting me. Keep enduring I mean, ask me for wisdom, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call out to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I know that they're not taking you seriously. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown, Michael, but this is important to me. You know, 111, son, I'm proud of you and I love you. You know, I mean, just over and over and over, and I could go on. There's been over 80 numbers now that God has shown me to direct my path. There is no way humanly possible that I could be where I'm at 4 years later right now in the in the in these most desperate seemingly desperate shall I say circumstances without God's divine ordering of my steps I would have to be the one of the toughest nails people or the most delusional people that I've ever known You can't, I have nothing of substance. I have, my circumstances are horrendous right now. No money, negative $85 in my checking account. I'm sure my one checking account's been closed. I'm at least seven to eight months behind on paying a child support payment. I have not had a driver's license in over two and a half months. I haven't had a cell phone for five or six months. I I couldn't go forward to buy myself a dollar cup of coffee right now. I have piggy bank change. That's all I have. I can't buy myself anything. I'm totally dependent upon the 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 food they serve at the jail that I'm staying at, which I don't mean that to sound disrespectful. I just mean that I'm surrounded by two people who you know, stand against me. They they think they love me and they they think they're doing the best they can, but they 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 love me with a an artificial, not a godly love. They they're they're, they're being used as tools in the hands of Satan. And I'm I'm living through all of this literally in a dungeon, totally humbled, totally 100% dependent upon God for everything. If my head hurts, I have to pray about it. If my knee starts to hurt, I have to pray, God, please don't take my knee away from me, Lord. God, I need these knees to walk and pray and talk to you, Lord. Please keep me strong, keep me healthy. I'm dependent upon God for everything. Michael Commentary, Psalm 66, 10-12. through For you, O God, tested us, you refined us like silver, you brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs, you let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. What you are hearing in all of the trusting God in the wilderness series, where I keep mentioning being in a prison and my mom has power over me and she's riding over my heads and I'm being persecuted and, and burdens are being laid on my backs and I have no finances. I've lost all of my freedom. You're hearing what I would hear years later, brother Zach teach out of Psalm 66, 10 through 12, the only path to spiritual abundance in Christ Jesus. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Don't you know that requires a furnace? That requires affliction, fiery hot to burn off all that is in us that is not like Christ to bring it up to the surface. You brought us into prison. You were put in situations where you lost control of your life circumstances. You lost your freedoms. You were put in a position where you were in bondage of some kind to somebody else And laid burdens on our backs, heavy lifting, difficult days, oppressive workloads, oppressive circumstances. You let men ride over our heads, lawsuits, people that uh, hold power and influence over you, obnoxious bosses, people that can, leaders in the church or leaders in your work that can oppress you and ride over your heads and abuse you and take advantage of you and look down upon you. We went through fire and water, fire, painful, hot, afflicting, suffering, and water, Going from fire to water immediately, that cooling process, this is the process of tempering steel. Fire, water fire, water. You see the affliction comes on, then you catch your breath. And then the affliction comes on and you catch your breath. This is the being dipped from fire to water. And so what you're hearing, if you listen with the ears of biblical scripture and the principles of God, what you can hear happening in the trusting God in the wilderness is Michael is being dipped repeatedly into the fire and into the water you'll hear me say oh man i just how much longer this is horrible i want to get out of here well that's me in the moment i'm in the fire and then oh man i just got an email god refreshed my spirit he blessed me oh he answered my prayers he's keeping me by his grace there's the water and then if you listen in another recording you're going to hear here comes the fire again brothers and sisters this is what it looks like this is that kind of bipolar ups and downs Don't you know, being lifted up out of water and then down into the fire and then up out of the fire and down into the water, it looks bipolar. Don't you know, if you read the Psalms, you see fire and water in the life of David. One time I went through my Bible and I wrote a little up arrow to the right of every Psalm that was up, that was positive, that was filled with hope and a down arrow with everyone that was crushing like, oh God, how long? Strike the teeth of my enemies, you know, and he just keeps on. And so I wrote and you see this, this unbelievable, what looks like a bipolar walk with God. What that is, is the refining process. That is the road to spiritual abundance. It's the being dipped into the fire. It's terribly painful. Water's not painful. Water is cooling. Don't we all run from the fiery hot summer into somebody that has a pool? We run in and soak. We run into the lake, into the swimming hole. We can't wait to get into that water, okay, to cool off from the heat. So you see here, all throughout trusting God in the wilderness, God takes and dips me in this fire. It's fiery hot and michael's being burned up and just when i think i can't take it anymore and you hear me crying out oh god please i can't get through it anymore he takes me out of the fire and he puts me into the water and cools me off and he gives me a donation he gives me a wonderful testimony somebody's life was saved through the trusting god in the storm video or you know some good news or some encouraging powerful word in the word of god or some new insight he's putting me in the water but then he's going to put me right back into the fire. And this process is going over and over and over, back and forth and back and forth. God is tempering me. And so now, you see the the iron can't stay in the fire. It'll just melt and become nothing. The fire will consume even the steel it'll eventually consume turn to liquid metal and go into the bottom of the ash and becomes worthless so you have to temper this thing by putting it in that fiery hot furnace of affliction and then once you see it's glowing hot red and it's taken all that it can you quickly pull it out and you dip it into the water and here comes relief but just when the iron is going to, oh this is so wonderful the blacksmith pulls it back out of the water and Right back into the flaming hot furnace. (laughs) Oh Oh my goodness gracious. Whoo! Job 522. God gave me a promise for it, and it happened so often. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) He puts you right back in that fiery hot furnace, man, and you're just like, ah, I don't want to be in here. Get me out. Get me out. And brothers and sisters, this is what you're hearing all throughout trusting God in the wilderness. This is what you will experience in your life. You maybe don't have to be tempered as much as I am. Let me be very, very comforting to you. If God has a bigger calling for you and you have a more extraordinarily difficult temperament for God to deal with, if you are stubborn to a greater degree than me, if you're a bigger fool than me, then God may have to do even more suffering with you, okay? And again, I'm not talking about the suffering that a lot of uh, people go through because of their, their poor choices. You don't get any credit with God in the current suffering in your life that is a result of making foolish decisions. It is the suffering that you are willing to participate in. See, you can scream out to God at any time. I could, I could take myself out of this fire, that's another part of the difficulty of being tempered is being willing to be in the hands of the blacksmith while he's tempering you. I could choose to save and deliver myself multiple times. In fact, many people standing around when they see me dipped back into the furnace are screaming on my behalf. Please get out of there. It's hot. You could be burned up and destroyed. Get out of there. And what person wouldn't think it's mental illness for you to willingly submit yourself to that fire. You see, it's because you don't want to remove yourself that people go, okay, this is nuts. Like imagine, for example, I had a, a candle sitting here burning right now and I just go and stick my finger in it. And if you saw me put my finger in that candle and I didn't immediately remove it, you would begin to conclude, number one, I have no nervous system or my nervous system is, is not working anymore or I am seriously mentally uh, insane, right? If you don't pull yourself out of it. And so that's what it looks like, but this is a fire that cannot destroy you because you are in the hands of the greatest blacksmith, the greatest refiner of metal and gold and silver that there ever has been, God Almighty. And he looks to see how much of this he can do if you'll break. It's just I'll never forget the streams in the desert where this blacksmith said every time he goes back and forth with a piece of metal from the fire to the water, he's tempering it to see how much tempering that piece of steel can take. And depending upon how much tempering it can take, how much suffering it can go through, depends upon the glory of its life and its use thereafter. He said, and if it can't take very many times, like one or two, three times in the fire and the water, he said before it breaks and it basically is crying out against the pain for delivery, then it goes on the scrap heap and it's sold for little to nothing. And I'll never forget him saying his greatest fear as a blacksmith, that that would be him before God, that if he wasn't willing to suffer, if he wasn't willing to endure long tempering, being dipped in the fire and in the water, he would be thrown on God's scrap heap and see I can't consciously tell you that that's how I felt, but I never wanted to give up on God and I didn't want to miss out and I didn't want to throw away all the difficulty he was allowing in my life and I just had this knowing that I was in his hands, that he was fashioning me into something valuable and see, today he's able to use me to change and touch thousands of people's lives all over the world and it does not affect me the way it would if you took somebody right out of church and you threw him into this big ministry and gave them thousands of lives and hundreds of suicide testimonials and unbelievable lives changed for the hearts of God, this would quickly destroy them from pride. They would become conceited and fall into the same trap that the devil fell into. So, you know, not only that, But in order to have a ministry like this, you have to be willing to carry a huge load, a lot of suffering, difficulties, attacks from Satan big time. So God has to prepare you for the battle. He has to put you over and over water and fire. And depending upon how much you're willing to take, I suppose God looks at it as this one I can use for, you know, a more difficult position. And this is something that men and women of God have understood for years. It doesn't make that person better than it certainly makes them better off. That is what I will say until, you know, my dying day that anyone who has more of God's grace, more of tempering, more of suffering, more of the glory and grace and providence of God in their life. They are not better than anybody else because it may have simply been God's sovereign choice to do that and it had nothing to do with the person, but they're certainly better off. That's the way I like to see it. And that's the way I believe the Bible sees it. And so this is something that we all need to be aware of, that when you're in the suffering, suffering is a season. You know, every dark has a morning. Every dawn is going to have a followed by an evening. And there's we it's this constant back and forth from dark to light and dark to light. And that's what the Christian life is. It's this constant tempering. And it's not only being developed for, you know, if you can have an earthly ministry, but I believe also we're being tempered and we're being built and we're being. Made into tools in the Master's hands fit for eternal life and use and service. Hallelujah. Last time I'll read it, you're hearing it right now. Psalm 66, 10 through 12. The only path to spiritual abundance, to the fruitful life, to the truly blessed life, to the promised land. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver, you brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you, hallelujah, brought us to a place of abundance. Brothers and sisters, I'm there. I thank God for it. I'm there. I'm in the promised land. I'm in that place of abundance. And it is remarkable. And when I look back all the times, you know, it's like God saying, you don't know the cost if you quit. You see, if you want, I'll take you out of the fire right now and throw you on the scrap heap or I'll take you out of the fire, let you deliver yourself. And I can't use you, can't trust you. Or you're going to be used in this little small minor way. Let God temper you. Let God put you in the fire and let God put you in the water. It'll be such a rich, rich blessing and reward for you. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but only painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. End of commentary. This is a man who has completely been emptied of himself, who has completely been emptied of any ability whatsoever to save myself to provide any necessary resources that I need. I am totally dependent upon God. And it's very unnormal in today's society to do this. It's very, very unusual. I mean, I can't even imagine what the statistics are on how many people total surrendered, becoming what the true word is, not a servant of Christ, a slave of Christ. That is the true original meaning of the Greek words that were used to describe our relationship and our bond to Christ. We are not our own, the Bible says. We were bought at a price. That implies slavery. We don't have any ability to make decisions outside of Him. I have learned how to every day say, Okay, God, where are we going today? What are we doing? What do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? God has directed my path, and it has led through Much, much suffering, disappointment, hardship, disillusion, heartache, crying, everything that that rails against having a comfortable life. Everything that people want, I've not experienced that. I'm experiencing the opposite of all those things. And yet, in my heart, my heart has grown and changed and been transformed and I love Jesus Christ more than I've ever loved Him in my entire life, my whole being is in him it is no longer i that lives but it's he that lives in me i love him i desire him i need him i am all about jesus christ when paul says it is no longer i that live it is rather he that lives in me i i know what my brother paul talks about now i know what he means when he says it would be far better for me to depart from the body and be with christ I know what he means. I no longer want to be here. Now, I want to serve people. But if the Lord takes me out, I'm right there with that Isaiah 57, that it's the Lord who did a good thing by killing off a righteous man to spare him from evil. Most people don't even understand that principle that's in the Bible. I believe it's Isaiah 57 where it says a righteous man dies and no one gives thought to it. No one ponders it in their heart. But it's the Lord who has spared him from evil, takes him out of the evil land. I look forward to dying and to being with Jesus Christ. I can't wait. I'll I'll be content to do whatever he wants me to do here, but I, I do not live for this world anymore. This world has nothing for me. And so why do people think it's so strange that I've had to go through this? When this lines up, my story, my testimony, lines up with the account of any great man or woman of God that has ever lived you read any of these accounts this is the this is the life where you are emptied of yourself the the life is in the cross the death of the cross brings life i had to lose all of my dignity god looking down from heaven to say okay let's see this the last thing that michael has placed between us and him or to test him is to, is the is the children let's see and his dignity Let's see if he will trust me, even with his children when it hurts, when we take away his ability to see his children this Christmas, and he could save himself. God knows that I could have radically changed all of my circumstances by now. I have never had one day to sit in the circumstances I'm in. That should be so important to understand that I have had multiple opportunities to get myself out. This is not me stuck in some $30,000 a year job having to stay working, living with my parents because I can't quite afford to have my own place and get out. This is not that at all. My circumstances have always been that I've been able to save myself. I've always been self-sufficient. I've always been able to sell my way out of a, a mess. And I could easily have many times taking the job offers that were were brought to me, the business opportunities, all the video business I've turned down. I mean, why would God have me turn down $30,000 worth of work in one month when I desperately needed it? And yet there's a guy I meet with every single day named Chris who sits many times with tears in his eyes says, Mike, I'm so thankful for this relationship that you and I have. This has changed my life. Jesus Christ has used you to turn my life and my heart around, and I'm so thankful, and this would have never happened, man, if you would have had your license. So what is God more interested in, my comfort or the eternal destiny of other people and other people's lives being changed? Why is it so difficult for people to say, well, God would never in a million years ask you to not pay, not get a job. It says right in his word, really? Well, why did he ask Abraham to go kill Isaac? It wasn't that He required it. It wasn't that my children have missed a single meal. My kids have not missed a single meal. My kids have not missed anything except for they did miss seeing their father this holiday. But I know and believe that God is going to make that up to them. And they will see that the God I believe in, their God, their Creator, is faithful. They will know through experience. My daddy not only told me God was good and faithful, But my daddy allowed God to show us through his life. My daddy didn't just tell me about the words on the Bible. My daddy put it into action and showed us. And we had to suffer along the way. We miss seeing dad sometimes. And we had to hear some really horrible things said about daddy. And mommy and and her family said some really nasty things. And it hurt our feelings. But you know what? It turns out daddy was right. He did the right thing by being willing to put us and himself up on the altar. And sacrifice it to God. And God being a good God turned it all around for Daddy's benefit and our benefit and for God's glory. That will be the testimony of my kids. And when they themselves encounter difficulties and suffering and persecution and the trials of being obedient to God. And the desire to obey God in the face of tremendous opposition from the world, from the devil, from people and family and friends, well-meaning people. They'll be able to look back and hold on to standing on to the shoulders of their daddy who said, God is faithful and we must trust God above all things. We must trust God. I don't know why people don't trust him. It just makes me so frustrated. Makes me so frustrated that we give lip service Christianity to God. We've perverted the gospel. We've taken the cross out of the gospel. We've taken give up everything out of the gospel. We've taken surrender out of the gospel. We've taken being a slave to God out of the gospel. And it's, it's come to the feet of Jesus. And your life will be healthy and wealthy. And your problems will go away. This is not the gospel. The gospel is you're a dirty, rotten, wicked sinner, hell bound guaranteed hell bound. And you deserved every lick of it. And in spite of that, God says, but I still love you. And if you'll accept my gift of atonement for your sin, I will have sent my son to pay for your sins in advance. And I will reconcile you to me. And I'll put my spirit in your heart. And you'll begin to change. You'll begin to live like me, follow me, please me, and be in relationship with me. Not... I'll put a bumper sticker on your forehead, call you a Christian, and you can just go out and live under the protection of this thing called grace, however in the heck you want, even if it looks like the devil's in the driver's seat of your life. This is not Christianity. I am being persecuted and made fun of by people that call themselves Christians that live just like that. In the very moment that this message is being made, sitting on a half of a countertop, at my parents' house is filled with alcohol and whiskey in preparation for a great night of cheer and merriness tomorrow night that I refuse to be at. A party where people are going to get together. Oh, they're going to have fun. Oh, they're nice people. Oh, they'll tell good jokes and have fun and open presents and be loving and huggy, kissy on each other. All the while, while they're drinking themselves to contentment and acting a fool and the coarse jokes start happening and all of this craziness. These are the very Christians who persecute me and call me mentally ill, who are now sitting most likely at my pastor's office trying to convince them that Michael has lost his rocker. He's off his rocker, he's mentally ill, he's isolating himself from other people, he's acting weird, he doesn't want to take any kind of feedback from anybody, he's continuing to sit and he just thinks that God's going to provide a miracle. This is what they say. They say that I'm the idiot because I'm sitting waiting for the God who gave them the very breath to accuse me, I'm waiting for him to deliver me. And I have evidence. If I was some guy who just set out and said again, I'm going to cliff jump, good luck to me. I'm not putting the Lord to the test. The Father speaks to me. The Father's not doing anything with me that He hasn't done with thousands or millions of people beforehand and that there's not plenty of evidence to support the fact that He does it in His Bible. If people fear the Lord and they wait upon Him and they wait for His Word, He speaks to those who fear Him. He speaks and He gives them understanding. He guides and directs the steps of those. He sets apart the godly for Himself. And yet people are convinced That I am an absolute fool for thinking like this. And there is always that part of me that understands that. I have not lost my ability. I want to make this my final point. I have not lost my ability to understand the opinions of the sin nature. That looks at this and says this is crazy. Mike you're off your rocker. Buddy I appreciate your enthusiasm for God. I appreciate your faith in God. But Mike sometimes we can just get zealous. Sometimes we can get ahead of God. Sometimes we can think we're hearing from God, but we're really being deceived. You know, Mike, there's people that are mentally ill that sit in uh, psychiatric wards that talk about God and Jesus Christ all the time. And boy, they're passionate, they're convicted, but, but Mike, they're mentally ill. This is the sin nature's relegation of faith. This is the sin nature's justification to live. It looks for all evidence to support its case that it is too much of a good thing. To trust a supernatural God for supernatural deliverance and supernatural restoration. We've lost our faith in God and begin. And- There's plenty of evidence to the contrary that people have perverted faith in God. And they get out and they take this thing called faith and they treat it like it's a coin and like God is a candy machine. And if I put enough of this coin faith in this God candy machine, I'll get all the candy I want and my life will be happy. This is a gross perversion that the devil uses to then twist a legitimate faith like the faith that I have. Who would want to do the kind of pain and hurt to themselves that I have done by waiting upon God if I didn't know something that the rest of the people in the world don't know? Or the people who don't believe this don't know? The only reason Paul could say, I count it all as rubbish, I count it all as lost, I have lost all things for the sake of knowing Christ, is because he knew something most people don't and it's the John seven seventeen play. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or I speak on my own. This is exactly what's happening to me. I have found out through experience. I have found out through personal experience that God's word is exactly what He says it is. That He does what He says He does. That He is who He says He is. That I am who He says I am. That His obedience, obedience to Him does what He says it does. So... I never want to forget the hellish affronts that have been, that have seemed innocent christian people christian people that are deceived standing against me wondering and it's only going to get worse as i separate myself from this charismatic movement and I get out of churches where people think that the tongues they speak, the, the jibber-jabber is coming from God, or the prophecy that comes from the stage to my friend David, who he and I both at the time thought was from the Lord, turns out to be a false word that now has put this brother in a position where he did exactly what the prophecy said, sold everything, and he's got himself in a situation where he's lost his real estate license, he's at the threat of going to jail, he's got financial disaster, he has no hope for what's going to happen in his future. This is the this is the kind of garbage garbage that's going on and when I turn around and leave the church separating myself from those who are chasing men for their want of God rather than God and they they bring a curse on themselves, this is what the Bible says Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 through 8, if you run to man if you trust in man, you're cursed period, end of story I'm going to receive even more flack there's going to be even more evidence that I'm this wacky nut that people thought I am and I'm okay with it. That's another amazing evidence that I am okay. Am I going to enjoy it? Absolutely not. Have I enjoyed this waiting, waiting and waiting for coming up now? We're only two months short of three years? No, I've not enjoyed hardly any of the, the painful stuff. It's, it's, it's been horrible and yet it's been delightful. It served to cut away all of the things that were in me that my heart has longed to be free of that I could not do. God has effectively destroyed all that was in me that was against Him. And I now live for Him. I love, I delight, I don't need anything, I have no desire to buy myself anything, I don't spend any money on myself even if I had it and when I did, I'm content. I have this contentment. If God gave me a million dollars tomorrow, if God sent me a check for a million dollars tomorrow... I'd go in my room, I'd drop to my knees and I would say, my God, my King, you are faithful. You did everything you said you would. I would drop to my hands, love on him, go for a prayer walk, tell him how amazing he is. But I would not be utterly surprised because I believe in my, my God that he can do these things. I would not be utterly surprised and it would not change a lick of my dependence upon him. The only thing it would change is how much time I have now to be able to do some of the things in the ministry I want to be able to do to help more people and to find ways of blessing people with the money because it doesn't have any power. I have no desire for it. Money is just a tool. I'm completely neutral with it. I either have it or I don't. I've never had this feeling in my life. I always needed and wanted money. Now I really just don't care. You can't get to that place without some serious help from God. I mean, it takes a tremendous amount of brokenness for some of us to get to that place. So, anyhow, I end this recording just trying to capture that God's divine providence is all over the place. And I fully believe that soon, again, my soon is different than God's soon. I trust Him for His timing. But it it seems apparent to me, very similar to the kind of activity I saw before the divorce ended. And God did this miraculous deliverance. There was a ramp up in the numbers. There was an intensifying. And I believe... Good things must be just around the corner. For all I know, I could be just over a month away from meeting my bride. Maybe the Lord wants to do something awesome and have me meet her on the second uh, month of the year, the 12th day, 2-12-14. That would be absolutely amazing. But whenever God wants to do it, it's up to Him. I totally trust Him. Even if it's another year, I know God will sustain me until then. I'm content. Oh, how I love my God, how I love Him and desire Him. The final point I feel inclined to share as this beautiful bird is flying over my head is I feel inclined to say that the point of this message, how do I get to this place where I'm at right now, is the only way you get there is by a surrender to God. It is a repenting of anything that you have in your life, sin-wise, that's keeping you apart from God or causing you to have a guilty conscience. It's a repenting of that. And it's a fully surrendering. It's a saying, God, I am sorry that I have chosen to direct my life, my goals, and my dreams, and my desires up to this point. But God, I surrender everything. I surrender my family, my marriage, my children, my career, my money, my hobbies, my interests, my desires. And literally surrender everything to God. Without any fear whatsoever that God may take any of it or all of it. Knowing that if he does, it is by his divine providence to do so, and it is only because, only, there is no other reason. Not even in the case of Job was there a reason. It is only because God is intent on giving you his best. Mainly him and his presence, number one, but better on the other side of that. Things that you have now, he will give better. I, I just believe that, and, and again, it's not always things. I'm not saying if he, if he takes your push lawnmower, he's going to give you a ride in lawnmower. That's not what I'm saying, although that certainly may be the case. But God will take, if he takes anything from you, it's only because he has something so much better, and the greatest things that God can ever give are simply his presence. There is nothing greater ever. No money, no things, no marriages, kids, health, wealth, nothing is comparable to divine Acts and provisions of God's presence. Nothing. When you know that He is with you, when you have tasted the goodness of the Holy Spirit, when you have had fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that comes close to comparing. You can walk through hell. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death when you have Him. So the key question is well, Mike, how do I get that? You get this by surrendering on your knees and in your heart. It has to be both, it can't just be an outward Getting on the knees and it can't be a five minute thing. It has to be a daily surrendering. Oh God, not my will be done but yours. Oh God, I surrender it all. Oh God, I forgive me for choosing my life to this point. I I, I now ask that you choose for me. That you, Father, give me what you would have me to have. Give me yourself. Begin to intervene in my life circumstances. Father, take or give whatever you see fit. And literally just trusting and, and not saying, well, he did it for Mike. I don't know if he'll do it for me. No, knowing that he did this for Mike only because he's done this for millions of people before Mike. This is the testimony of God only knows how many amazing saints of God. This is not Michael Criswell's special day testimony or special God experience. This is, as I read a book this morning from a man written in the 1700s, it only confirms for me how similar, how totally unchanging our God is and his ways. They've never changed. The only thing that's changed is our ability to approach Him with boldness and to have a much better relationship with Him than they had in the Old Testament by way of the work of the bloody cross and what Jesus did on the cross and the Holy Spirit that came as a result of the work of the cross. This is the only thing that's changed. God's desire for justice, God's desire for righteousness, His requirements, therefore, are still the same. He still requires us to be holy and be perfect. He just gives us the power to do it. And he gives us a clean slate through Jesus Christ with which to begin building our own life of Christ in. Praise be to God. I feel like I could just go on and on about my king. In the end, it all comes down to surrender through repentance and trust. Trusting God is the key. Trusting God trust him at his word being in his word renewing your mind you cannot be everything God wants you to be until you're in his word every day any Christian that thinks they can be a good follower of Christ without devouring God's word fools themselves and every day that they do not do that they throw it away that day counts for nothing you have got to start every day in God's word you have got to renew your mind it has to be a discipline there will be lots of times you don't remotely feel like it and you do it because you know you must you must it's not a legalistic thing, it's an obligation because your heart's desire is to please God and to live well and, and prosperous in and soul before Him. For God to be with you, you need to be with Him. You've got to put Him first.